You know you've got a comeback in you. When you take the next step, you're going to make it count. For your career, for your family, for your life. You can earn a degree you're proud of with Purdue Global. Purdue Global is backed by Purdue University, one of the nation's most respected and innovative public universities. This is your chance. This is your opportunity. This is your comeback. Purdue Global, Purdue's online university for working adults. Start your comeback today at purdueglobal.edu. When you buy Kroger brand products, you feel like you're winning. That's because they offer proven quality at lower than low prices. In fact, we guarantee that you and your family will love how Kroger brand products taste. Or you get your money back. So next time you're shopping for the family, look for delicious Kroger brand products. Because they'll make you all feel like you're winning. Shop now, in-store, or online. Kroger. Fresh for everyone. If a new house is on your wish list in the next five years, grow your savings faster and experience your dreams with an Ohio Homebuyer Plus account from Kemba Financial Credit Union. A savings account specifically designed to save for a new home where you can earn 7% APY, a $500 matching bonus, and a $1,500 mortgage closing cost credit. Learn more at Kemba.org. Offer expires March 31st, 2025. APY equals annual percentage yield. Restrictions apply. NMLS 292230. Equal housing lender. Federally insured by NCUA. What do the Holy Grail, Knights Templar and aliens all have in common? Answer, they all may be connected with Roslyn Chapel, a 15th century chapel just down the road from Edinburgh. Among other things, it's famous for appearing in the best-selling book, The Da Vinci Code. Here to help me unpick the mysteries is chapel director, Ian Gardner. Thanks so much for joining us on the podcast, Ian. I think we should start by you just contextualising yourself as far as the chapel and how you fit in with everything. Well, thank you for inviting me on. My name's Ian. Roslyn Chapel has been here since 1446. The building is still owned by the Sinclair family, but in 1995, they set up a charitable trust to look after the building, to look after its conservation and organise its public opening. So there's a team of... 19 of us, I head up the trust, uh, so we look after the building and open it to visitors. Official title, Chapel Director. That's right, Director of Rosalind Chapel Trust. Not bad, I've never never spoken to a chapel director before, I'm feeling very, very privileged. Because the place is amazing. Just doing my small research, you have got everything in this chapel. There is uh, historic nights, there's aliens, that's the first one I want to get onto, because we haven't actually talked about aliens on the podcast before, and this chapel is essentially what people think is a stargate to another world, another dimension. Please explain well, this. Some people do. And I think that is part of the fact that the building has captured the imaginations of people for generations. So some people attribute all kinds of things to the building. We don't mm-hmm. think that it is a portal to another world, but some people do. Well, and, that, well and that's, that's disappointing straight that's, from the off. <laughs> but for some people, they do, and that's absolutely fine. So the, I think one of the great things about the chapel is that there are so many ways to interpret the building. It's full of medieval stone carvings. We don't mm-hmm. have the definitive plan of what each of these means. So it's really down to visitors to draw their own conclusions about what carvings depict. And even why the building is is here. It was built as a family church back in the mid-15th century, but it's incredibly ornate. So there's speculation that it was built 
really as a status symbol because the Sinclairs were wealthy and powerful and well-educated. Other people will say, no, it was built to house treasures, to be a safe deposit for for treasure. So, And that's why it was so ornate. So even when you look at the building and why it was here, there's speculation. One thing we, we do think is that it was built high on a hill so that people could look at the building, admire it, and be in awe of Sir William Sinclair, of his ability to create this chapel. The family lived in, in a castle, which is about the, the ruins of the castle are about 10 minutes walk from here. So they could have had their chapel at the side of the castle, but actually then no one would have seen it. And so by having it built high on a hill, it meant that people would be able to see it, to be in awe of the family and and of what they could achieve. And the building was never finished. Sir William wanted to have a much bigger building, but when he died, um, his son who inherited it just finished off the, the part that had been created. So we've only got a portion of what his vision was. Of what could have been. So 15th century peacocking is what they say. When you're trying to pick up girls in clubs, you wear like really flashy hats or like flashy shirts to sort of go, hey, look how good I am, peacocking. And so this is him just doing peacocking, but just with a chapel. I think it is. He wanted to secure his place in heaven. <laughs> That's interesting you're saying about secure his place in heaven, as if God is looking down on the people with all their chapels and what they've done to him. Because there's some people who would go, no, what God would want us to do would be very minimalist and just a sort of small, humble prayer room. Or some people would then going, no, what God really wants is some proper big old statues and stained glass windows and ornate carvings. At what point in history did people change their mind on what God was actually wanting them to do? Well, I think it's always been open to interpretation again. So from very humble churches to very large cathedrals, people have um, built churches to kind of suit their different times of history. What's interesting Mm -hmm. here, I suppose one of the perks of of my job is to occasionally get up on the roof and see parts of the building that other visitors don't. And you see Mm -hmm. carvings up there, which... No one else can see. They're kind of tucked away on the roof of the building. But they're there because God presumably could see them. And, and that was all part of Sir William's, his vision uh, to have this building more elaborate than anybody else's. Obviously, either God's seeing them or possibly the aliens seeing them from outer space is the other angle you could take there. All open to interpretation. What sort of carvings are these things? What are we talking are there little green men walking around? There are there are green men, but of a kind of different type of green men. green men. So the, the the medieval green men are not. Oh, you mean of the green the tree, kind. the tree bloke? These you mean are the tree guy. These are faces with leaves and and vines coming ah. out of them. Uh, so we do have our own green men, and it's not unusual. Vines or tentacles. <laughs> Churches <laughs> of this age have green men faces. We have over a hundred of them, so it's very unusual to have so many. Um, mm-hmm. But uh, yeah, we do have our own green men, but not not of an alien kind. No. And people have said that, you know, there's so many things buried underneath the chapel. And in fact, anything you've ever lost might well be buried underneath the chapel. And and I think that's where the, the kind of alien uh, dimension comes in, the portal to another world. Or just a bunch of TV remote controls. <laughs> <laughs> Down the back of couches. All these carvings and various the artistry does mean that people do believe in this sort of stuff and so you must get lots of interesting characters turning up at the chapel 
wanting to do all sorts of various things. Over the years, can you give me sort of a few stories of some of the various people who have cropped up? Yeah, we, we get a great mix of people. And before the pandemic, we were welcoming about 180,000 people a year. So it's a busy spot. Yeah, wow. People come for all different reasons. We had somebody back in the mists of time who believed that the Holy Grail was hidden in one of the pillars in the chapel. So he uh, chained himself to the pillar and um, the, the staff oh. locked the doors. And I think that was more scaly for him than anything. Um, well, they and, just let him stay in there over the evening. And I think eventually the police removed him. But yes, we get people coming with all kinds of beliefs. The chapel is still a working church. It's part of the Scottish Episcopal Church. So it is still a place of worship. It is still used as a church. But people come really for all kinds of reasons. Hopefully at different times. Is there a particular part of the chapel that people think might be the Stargate? People think that they're so-called ley lines, energy lines. People think that there that are parts of the building where you can feel different types of energy. But again, it's mm -hmm. all down to individuals. We've been on a ghost hunt on this podcast before, and the word there's an energy gets brought up quite a lot. Quite a vague term scientifically, isn't it? Just, um, no, no, there's just a feeling over in this corridor that there might be something extra. I think it, I think it is, and I think it is just a feeling. Let's talk about the carvings then and who actually did the carvings. Who's responsible for that? So the building was was founded by Sir William Sinclair. The, the Sinclairs were a Viking family by origin. They travelled over to Normandy and they came to Scotland in the year 1070. So Sir William Sinclair, who was the, the member of the family in the mid-15th century, he created the chapel. And we think he was very influential. He was almost the architect working with the, the master mason to decide which carvings were created and, and, and where they would go. Mm -hmm. This is the master mason who um, got a bit jelly by the end of it with one of his um, apprentices. Well, there's a legend, yeah, there's a great legend that, that, that there are three pillars leading into the, the Lady Chapel. What's a, what's a Lady Chapel? Well, in, in the medieval Catholic Church, that would have been the part dedicated to Mary. Okay. One, one of the carving, one of the pillars was was carved by the master mason and the, the one nearest the high altar, which would have been the kind of prime location. Uh, he couldn't decide what to do with that one. So he was allowed by the family to go and travel to see what other churches and cathedrals had in Europe. And um, legend mm -hmm. is that off he went to, to find out. Nobody knew if he would come back or not. Uh, and while he was away, his apprentice was said to have had a, a vision and in his dream he saw this pillar uh, with vines swirling around it and dragons at the base of it and the family thought well that looks that looks great and so he was allowed to create this pillar and when the master mason did come back uh, the legend is that rather than being proud of what his apprentice had done he was said to be furious and he was said to have struck him with a mallet and killed him on the spot and then the master mason was said to have been put to death for murder. You would think he would have been proud that his his teaching had produced uh, this work of art, but uh, the the legend is that he flew into to a rage um, <laughs> and and killed his apprentice. He was ready to come back and create his pillar. He had the oh, ideas. Oh, oh, he I was see. he so was coming back. He, he was back coming back. Sketchbook that he'd done ready the, to do the, it on the plane. and found that it had already been done. 
So he decided to turn the apprentice mason into a pillar himself and carved him up. <laughs> exactly, exactly. And again, did you do it, with, you, you do it with, with a chisel? Uh, well, we think it was probably a mallet. A mallet, <laughs> oh, much, much, much nicer. There's a, there's a okay. number of cathedrals and churches that have got this kind of legend, but we do know that at the time, the Archbishop of St Andrews was given papal authority to re-consecrate part of the chapel because of bloodshed. So maybe there is some truth in that story of the, the murdered apprentice. We don't know. Yeah. I'm worried. Do you have an apprentice under you? I'm imagining you as the chapel director going abroad for holiday or something and whatever your equivalent of a pillar is and then some person in the council <laughs> has just come and done your job better and then you just bludgeon them to death. I don't know, just to keep the traditions of the chapel going. It's a very risky place to work. <laughs> <laughs> all the mallets and all the... All the um, Carvings all made from plastic cutlery. <laughs> just to safeguard everything. There's also a conspiracy theory that all these carvings make up a musical score. Yeah, there, there was a local uh, father and son, the Mitchells, Tommy and Stuart Mitchell, who mm. came up with a theory about uh, a set of carvings in the Lady Chapel. We, we were just talking about that, where the, the apprentice pillar is. And in that part of the chapel, there's a whole series of musical angels. There's carvings of angels playing different instruments. Because we're in Scotland, there's a carving of an angel playing bagpipes. And through a, a process known as, as cymatics, they developed a musical score, um, which was based on the notes that they deciphered from these cubes. And they produced a piece of music called the Rosalind Motet. It's been performed here. It's available as a CD. It's been featured on various TV programs. Now, whether that was part of the plan or whether it's a coincidence, again, we, we don't know. But it's a, it's a great piece of music. That's something that, that they've deciphered as the Rosalind Motet. Well, even if that isn't true that the, it was meant to be a musical score. The fact that they have made a musical score out of it is sort of good enough anyway. That's that's wonderful in itself. Yeah, definitely. I think it is. And, and you know, it's been performed here and people um, really like the story, the, the research that's gone into it, the the a huge amount of work they, they put into it. So, yes, it, it is a great story and a, a great tribute to them. The other big thing the chapel's got going on is, of course, the Knights Templar and the Holy Grail. Now, last time I did my research, I was pretty sure that the Holy Grail was dissolving Nazis in a temple with Indiana Jones. But there is also a conspiracy that it's in the chapel somewhere. There's lots of different theories about what the Holy Grail is. And a lot of people connect the Holy Grail to Rosalind Chapel because of an author called Dan Brown. He wrote The Da Vinci Code. Uh, yep, yep, no, and um, at the end, I'm not going to give it away if you've not read it or seen the film, but at the end, uh, the characters come to Rosalind Chapel as they're on their search for the, the grail. And after they came here, thousands more people came to visit the chapel as a result. But uh, as far as we know, nobody's been able to find it yet. Walter Scott wrote about the, the chapel and he talked about the barons of Roslyn being laid out in their armour. So we think that there are uh, former Sinclair knights uh, buried underneath the chapel. We think that in the 16th century, the Sinclairs 
looked after treasures which were taken from Holyrood in Edinburgh. Um, they were kept here for safe, safekeeping. Nobody knows if, if they came here or indeed if they were returned. So there might still be treasures of a different kind buried underneath the uh, the chapel. And we know that in the 16th century, Mary of Guise wrote to the family uh, thanking them for showing her and sharing with her the secrets of Roslyn. But we don't know what they were. But for someone as significant as that, uh, it, it's great that we've got that letter from her. Could we just explain to any listeners who don't know, what exactly is the Holy Grail and who exactly are the Knights Templar? One of the theories is the Holy Grail is the cup that was used by Jesus at the Last Supper. There are other theories that it was the actually the bloodline of Christ. That's um, part of the story that was developed in the Da Vinci oh, Code. <laughs> but I, I think most people, most sort of artistic um, impressions are, are of a cup or, or a goblet of some kind. And the Knights Templar? Well, they were the ones who um, pr- protected the Temple of Solomon, and they became incredibly powerful and wealthy and almost too powerful and wealthy. So they were dissolved in the early 14th century by the the King of France. Scotland at that time had been excommunicated by the Pope. So Scotland was seen as a kind of safe destination. So we think that some of the Templars did come to Scotland. There's a village not far from here, which is known as Temple, and that was the the Scottish headquarters uh, of the Templars. Um, so, and there are various carvings inside the chapel which could have connections. They could have um, meaning and interpretation to Knights Templar. I've, I heard they had massive beards, and then when they get got found out, they'd shave them off and go into sort of hiding. Sounds good disguise, doesn't it? It's not. It's not bad. It's not bad. How did they manage to get so powerful, these Knights Templar? Just well, by going around taking over places? Yeah, I think so. I think so, yeah. And um, they, they, they looked after this uh, route to Solomon's Temple. And, you know, for lots of pilgrims, that was a very important route for them. And the, the Templars were, they, they became money lenders. Um, so, yeah, they became incredibly rich and powerful. And, and that was really their downfall. What's so good about Solomon's temple? Why do they love it so much? In the Bible, the Temple of Solomon is is the, the kind of the place where the, the Ark of the Covenant and all sorts of um, treasures would have been kept. Because there's lots of treasure in there. Exactly. The, the Knights Templar are quite often portrayed as villainous more than good, though. Is that fair to say? Yeah, I think so. I think there's so much interest in the Templars. I think their um, their basic premise was was based on good. They were trying to look after uh, this place and provide a, a safe passage for people going there. But I think I think just um, they became victims of their own success and and as I say, became incredibly rich and um, powerful and became a threat to the establishment in other countries. If you were to pick between one of the conspiracies being true, Holy Grail or aliens, which one would you pick? I think there's probably more to the Holy Grail and treasures. I think the fact that we've got uh, letters from people 
very significant people acknowledging that they've been shown secrets. Um, so I, I, you know, it may well be that oh, there, so are, that there have, are treasures. You have, you have, as as the as the kids would say, you have the receipts of people's we communications. We have, we have, we have some, and um, but again, just just kind of without going into detail, which I, I think is good that we've got something that kind of sparks your imagination without telling you exactly what it was they saw. You've got the aliens, you've got the Covenant, and you've got the Holy Grail. This, this is literally films one to four of Indiana Jones. <laughs> you should do like a midnight screening of the Indiana Jones movies inside the well, we, we, We've done outdoor screenings of the Da Vinci Code. Um, no, our, our connection's more to the, uh, to the Da Vinci Code rather than the Indiana Jones. But we do have carvings of... Um, what's been described as maize, so exotic plants. There's carvings that are said to be cactus and aloe vera and a plant that's known in, in Canada called trillium. These are all here in the chapel. And the one that's said to be maize is particularly interesting because, of course, maize wasn't known in these rural parts of Scotland in the time when the chapel was built. It was said to have been part of uh, what Columbus discovered in America in 1492, which was after the building of the chapel had been completed. So there's a theory that the founder of the chapel, his grandfather, had actually travelled to the New World, had seen different plants, different things come back and shared these stories with his grandson, and then they were incorporated into the, uh. the carvings of the chapel. So it's another mystery. It's another um, sort of point of speculation. Are these carvings what they say they are, or is there another interpretation? And if they are, how could they be here when uh, they weren't known in this part of Scotland at that time? Obviously, there's a massive connection towards the Da Vinci Code, as you said. Were you aware that the books were about to come out or the film was about to be released? Firstly, like, what was it like if they actually filmed in the chapel with Tom Hanks hanging around? And then what was the explosion of interest like? Well, we knew that the film was going to be made here. We didn't know about the book. And um, one of uh, one of the members of staff who worked here at the time had been in America on holiday and picked up this book in the airport, uh, the book called The Da Vinci Code, thinking it would be a good read on the flight home, and got towards the end and found that the, the characters came to, to Rosalind Chapel. So that was the kind of first that we, we knew about it. Um Wow. So when the when the before the book came out, we were welcoming maybe about thirty thousand visitors every year. When the book came out, the numbers went up to about seventy thousand. So it had a huge impact. Wow. Um, but then in two thousand and five, Tom Hanks came to visit, and the filming was done. Um, and in two thousand and six, the film came out, and at the peak, numbers went up to one hundred and seventy six thousand a year. Oh wow, Christ, that's way more. Huge, huge I mean, impact. I, I, I bet. Because also I think the the energy of the type of person visiting would have been different. I imagine when it was 30,000, they'd have been sort of quite quaint and looking at the nice architecture and the beauty. And then suddenly it's 170 Dan Brown fanatics. Yeah, I think, I think exactly. I think, and then going I, absolutely insane and all with their maps and goggles. and Yeah, and everyone trying to, trying to work codes. out these, these uh, puzzles and <laughs> mysteries. Are there any parts of the chapel or carvings or secret scribbles that, are off limits to the tourists or people don't see or people don't know about. Just, just, just whisper it to me and then no <laughs> I don't know why, I don't know why I'm whispering. Whisper, nobody will hear. Rosalind Castle's nearby and there's, there's said to be a secret passage between the chapel and the castle. We've not really uncovered 
anything there. Of course, if you did have any secrets, you obviously wouldn't be letting us know anyway, would you? You've got to come and, and, and have a look. Yep. <laughs> what do you think that secret tunnel would have been used for if there is a secret tunnel? Well, it might just have been for for safety if people had been... Um, we know that the castle was attacked several times, so it might have been a way for the family who were down there to escape. I, I don't think it would have been really for any other reason other than a kind of safe passage between one building and the other. Yeah, just a quick exit for the aliens once they've come through the Stargate. Exactly. Or not. But possibly. Ian, thank you so much for coming on to the podcast. It's been a pleasure. Uh, I, I really want to come and visit now because it's yeah, well, you beautiful. Must. You must. So we're, we're only seven miles from Edinburgh. We're open all year. Come and visit and see for yourself and make up your own mind about this amazing building. I'm going to finish up with some quickfire questions. Aside from Roslyn Chapel and Castle, where is your favourite stately home or historical building? I worked for, for a long time for the National Trust for Scotland. There's a very quirky place in the borders mm -hmm. called Roberts Mills Printing Works, a Victorian printing works, where you almost Ooh. step back in time. And uh, so if you've never been there, I think that is well worth a visit. It's not as famous as, as some, but it's a really fascinating place. Oh, that's cool. If you could go back in time to any place in history, where would it be? Well, I enjoyed doing uh, Roman history um, a number of years ago, so I, I think maybe going back to, to uh, visiting the Romans would be interesting. But obviously here, visiting when the building was being created, when the castle was being lived in, and, and the sort of great um, high life was... was uh, 15th century being enjoyed. Castle. Yeah, it'd be great to see that. Who from Roslyn Chapel's history would you most like to meet and why? And what would you ask them? Well, I think it would probably have to be Sir William Sinclair, the one who founded it, because if it wasn't mm -hmm. for him, you know, we wouldn't be welcoming thousands of people um, just now. So I think finding out maybe what he did mean by all these carvings would be good. But then, you know, on the other hand, maybe it's better that we don't know. If we knew all the answers, we wouldn't be able to, mm. to speculate. But I think it would be really interesting to to meet him and get his uh, his take on the building and... Uh, his vision and and to find out i suppose it'd be interesting to find out what he saw in the bit that was never created so that would have been in his mind but nobody else's because it was never completed and finally why should people visit roslyn chapel well it's the real mix of amazing architecture a huge history all these myths and legends and speculation, the fact that it's been um, it, it's attracted Hollywood. There's lots to see. There's lots to do while you're here. And uh, people come with lots of questions about the chapel. But I think most people actually go away with more questions than mm. when they arrived. Ian, thank you so much for joining us on the podcast and the excellent work you're doing at Roslyn Chapel. I'm sure you have secured your own place in heaven. Thank you. I will look forward to seeing you here sometime. I'll see you in Roslyn or up on cloud nine. Who knows? <laughs> Thanks very much. Thank you. Right. That's all we've got time for this week. I'm off to the roof of the studio to make some carvings. I've got to make sure the Bad Manners crew make it to heaven. Well, apart from producer Chris, he hasn't even managed to make me a coffee. So until next time, remember, the truth is out there. So mind your manners. 
Thanks for listening to Bad Manners. If you like the pod, please share it with your friends. Rate it on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Leave a review and make sure you spill the tea on any of your favourite Bad Manners that we could feature in future episodes. This podcast was produced by Atomized Studios for iHeartRadio. It was hosted by me, Tom Horton. It was produced by Willa Malensky, Rebecca Rappaport, and Chris Attaway. It was executive produced by Faye Stewart and Zad Rogers. Our production manager is Caitlin Paramore, and our production coordinator is Bella Cellini. If a new house is on your wish list in the next five years, grow your savings faster and experience your dreams with an Ohio Homebuyer Plus account from Kemba Financial Credit Union, a savings account specifically designed to save for a new home where you can earn 7% APY, a $500 matching bonus, and a $1,500 mortgage closing cost credit. Learn more at Kemba.org. Offer expires March 31st, 2025. APY equals annual percentage yield. Restrictions apply. NMLS 292230. Equal housing lender. Federally insured by NCUA. Hey, girlfriends, it's me, Carol Fisher, back with another season of the global number one podcast, The Girlfriends. Last time, we investigated the murder of Gail Katz. This time, we're uncovering the identity of the woman who was buried in Gail's grave for a decade before she disappeared. Join me and the rest of the club as we tell her story. Listen to season two of The Girlfriends, Our Lost Sister on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. The Black Effect presents Family Therapy, and I'm your host, Elliot Connie. Jay is the woman in this dynamic who is currently co-parenting two young boys with her former partner, David. David, he is a leader. He just don't want to leave me. But how do you lead a woman? How do you lead in a relationship? Like, what's the blueprint? David, you just asked the most important question. Listen to Family Therapy on the Black Effect Podcast Network, iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.